Okay. Um, our friend, uh, Professor Peter Lord from Vanderbilt University um, has got a, a list of uh, bugbears that bother him. Um, misunderstandings, misapprehensions, myths about Chinese history and Chinese martial arts. And today I'm going to put him on the spot and ask, um, ask him to tell us some of those myths. So Peter, how are you doing? Oh, pretty well. And, and I can see you're, as we were talking before, you're in the matrix, so we're, we're good. It's just a training program. It's a construct. Yeah, so yeah. we're in the construct. We're in the training program. And um, so you are a scholar of, uh, of um, Chinese martial arts. And you encounter a lot of regularly recurring beliefs about Chinese history and Chinese martial history that, that you have grounds to believe are mistaken. What's the first one that springs to mind that you encounter regularly in that kind of bothers you well i think i think the biggest the, the the most pernicious one for the martial arts practitioners and and uh stan henning got into a lot of trouble with the taiji community many many years ago when he sort of said you know this stuff isn't that old uh you know it's not it's not from the 13th century it's not from the 11th century you know you and so there's this kind of notion that anything which we now have in chinese history must go back 2,000 years or, or any Chinese person, oh, China has 5,000 years of history and you know, we're, we're all kind of still looking for that 5,000. But, but so there's this notion that anything which is in China now must have always been in China and unchanging, always the same. You know, uh, so if, if there's a martial arts style, somehow we can trace it back to, I guess, what is it? Um, the pool of tears, uh, I guess, where uh, um, Master Uwe, um deciphered, <laughs> you know, and, and that there's this, this place in this time and then everything is just exactly the same, unchanging for the rest of Chinese history. Yeah. And that if it isn't, somehow it's inauthentic. You yeah. know, uh, if, if Taiji is only 400 years old, that's, that's unacceptable. You know, it, it must be older than that. Yeah. Uh, and, and if it's less than 400 years old, and of course that's the flip side of that, which is, something is either forever, you know, absolutely ancient, or it's crap. Uh, there, was a, there used to be a, a skit on um, Saturday Night Live with Mike Myers. He would do the Scottish store. And, you know, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. And, and so everything in China is like, if, if this style of martial art can't be traced back, you know, forever, it's inauthentic, it's garbage, it, it can't be the real thing. The real thing would be, you know, almost, you know, pre-Confucian. And, and so Chinese history becomes this monolithic thing with unchanging China, nothing changes, um, everything is always the same. And so as a historian, you're always baffled by that because, uh, I mean, you know, I, I work on most of the 10th and 11th century, and then when I can, I go backwards. I hate going forwards, you know, and, 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 uh, and we're always talking about the changes from, say, you know, uh, I'm doing stuff on tea right now, and, and you have uh, the 8th century text on tea, and then you sort of have a, you know, so later a 10th century, 11th century text, and they're different. Mm -hmm. And tea drinking was different. Mm -hmm. And so then you say, well, if tea drinking was different, uh, if you're not drinking tea now the way they did in the Tang Dynasty, with salt in your tea, and the preparation of the tea is completely different, then isn't that inauthentic? Mm -hmm. But if you imply or state that, you know, what Shaolin martial arts today isn't what Shaolin martial arts was practiced in the Tang dynasty, mm -hmm. somehow that's this huge transgression and, and the world comes to an end. And, and, and so that, I think that's probably my biggest one uh, for, for the Chinese side. And the, and the follow-on of that, too, for Korea and Japan and other places is that not everything in Japan and Korea and Vietnam that's of any use came from China, mm -hmm. uh, which, which I think is, uh, I think it's officially blasphemy. And since this is running through Zoom, I'll obviously be denied a visa when I try to go to China next. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, we run into this problem of, uh, what do you want to say, provenance or, um, you know, it's, 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 I think the wine bottle is the best one. Like, you know, if you get a bottle of wine from France, no matter how long it's in the United States, it doesn't become American. Yeah. Um, and that's really important to us because, 
you know, it doesn't, your wine doesn't become domesticated. But what about your physical practice? Mm-hmm. You know, that does. And, and we're seeking this authentic physical practice for which we have very limited information, but we want it to be ancient. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we have no real way of proving that, you know, okay. that any given technique is, is, oh. is go, you know. So next question. Yeah. Um, we've got to talk about Taoism, Chan Buddhism, Ooh, and Confucianism. Okay. What, what, why do we want to lump these things together? When did, when did the lumping together start? What were some of the political stakes of that? Like the, you know, there's no reason to me why I don't think of think of my Tai Chi practice in 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 uh, terms of, of of in Taoist terms, in terms of yeah. Yang and so on. It makes perfect sense to me as a way to interpret uh, the the practice. Yeah. But but when did it start? What are the stakes and and what are the different kind of stories of of the Taoism, oh. the Buddhism, and the Confucianism? In broad yeah, yeah. let's do some broad brushstrokes. Yeah, it's going to be broad because this is not um, my usual uh, area. I, I, for the most part, I, I particularly Buddhism, I dodge. Uh, uh, I, I usually leave it to my uh, to my wife to deal with Buddhist stuff because um, uh, she does that in art history and and um, so uh, the stakes are huge. The stakes are are are, are uh, and and again, you have the same process of. And I've been recently shifting over. I don't talk about Confucius. I talked about Master Kong. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of technical reasons for this, but basically the term Confucianism used both in the West and actually in China is 19th century. Okay. Um, it's late 19th century, actually. And it's, it was actually an attempt by Europeans to create um, a secular intellectual tradition in opposition to Taoism and Buddhism. Uh, West European missionaries did this because they were trying to figure out how are we going to convert all of these Chinese elites uh, to Christianity. And they concluded that, you know, if you look at what they were calling Confucianism, it's just like Christianity without Jesus. So we just have to put the Jesus back in and then all these guys will be like, oh, okay, we can be Christian. And, uh, and, and, you know, the Buddhists and Taoists, they're horrible. But, um, and, and we have these stories of these missionaries going out on hikes with their Christian converts and destroying, and they were, they were reporting this. They're saying, we went out and we found some, you know, idolatrous shrine and we pulled all the statues out and threw them in the river, you know, and we, you know, and then, they, and then they come back and they say, I don't know why people started throwing rocks at our churches. Uh, and, why, why, and so, so there's a religious aspect. Uh, and then actually a man by the name of Kang Youwei, who was a late 19th century, early 20th century Chinese figure, he took up Confucianism because he wanted to create something like Christianity, which would allow China to stay together as they reform the government. So instead of it being this uh, Manchu government, because the last dynasty was Manchu, China was gonna to stay together because of Confucianism, which he actually tried to create as a state religion. And that was gonna hold it together. And of course, this is what's so funny is the way Christianity held Europe together. Mm-hmm. Of course, this was all before World War I. Mm-hmm. And when the Chinese went, oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> the barbarians are killing each other, holy cow. Uh, but linking these together was actually quite early and people began to, so that, you know, it's kind of the people who were trying to uh, if you will, the moderates who were trying to say, you know, all this stuff is kind of the same. <laughs> and then a bunch of people who are like, no, 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 it's, you know, it's, that's that usual argument, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a big debate about whether uh, you can divide Taoism into philosophical Taoism and religious Taoism. Okay. And, you know, very great scholars like uh, Isabelle Robinet say, you know, no, it's, it's all the same. It's hard to prove it. We do get religious Taoism later, and there's some argument about whether that was in response to the introduction of Buddhism into China, which is uh, depending on your sides of the debate, you know, say first century CE. And so Buddhism brings in monastic practices that didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. And so you can't obviously have our Shaolin monks before you have that. Mm-hmm. And then there's this whole concept of uh, you have a rise of 
Buddhism. It comes in, it, and as is usually the case, it's very interesting to the elites. It's very literate. Um, and that's why I'm leading toward your Chan Zen question there. So you have this literate Buddhism, which requires you to be able to read texts and to have a library and know all the stuff. And then there's a, there's a pushback from that toward this sort of, you don't need to read all these texts. Now that, the, the Zen, the Chan guys don't reject texts entirely, but they de-emphasize them. Mm-hmm. And so then you have a Taoist reaction to that, which is, oh shoot, these guys have a system here. Let's, let's respond to that because we're, we're losing followers or we're, that seems like a good way to organize things. And then by the, say, eh, call it the 11th century, the uh, Confucian or what I would say the Ruist reaction to that where they're saying, yeah, this really sucks. These people are losing, they're moving away from traditional Ruist or Confucian values. We need to have a response to that. And that was part of the argument was that the, the Confucian and I'm, I'm using Confucian in the, for everyone popularly. I, I'm wincing every time I say it, but yeah. uh, that the, the, fa- the problem of Confucianism is it didn't have um, a, a, a spiritual aspect to compete with Buddhism and Taoism. So then we get what, what is called in the West uh, Neo-Confucianism, which is learning of the way or uh, learning of the rites. And... This is a whole mess because they're actually contending for political power. Mm-hmm. And there are debates at court in the Tang Dynasty, certainly we have them, in the Sung, and later about which is the correct one. And then you later get with the, in the Ming, I believe, there's a whole, there's a much bigger push by, I think it's the first Ming emperor. He, he pushes a lot more for what's called uh, Sanjiao Rui, which is uh, the three teachings are one. Mm-hmm. So then they say, you know, it's actually all the same thing, yeah. you know, and, and so, but you have this issue of the term religion, which is a big issue for us. And so we start dividing, say, Taoism into, you know, philosophical Taoism and religious Taoism. Uh, you know, that, that division's not that clear in the Chinese. And the, the word in, in pre-modern China for these, what we would say religions are teachings, they're Zhao. So you which is the teaching of the Ru, which we call Confucianism. You have Tao Jiao, the teaching of the Tao, Taoism, and Fu Jiao. You know, so, so, and, and there's a lot more complication in this. Uh, and then we have this attachment or this attempt to attach our martial arts to it mm. without any recognition of the fact that there's vast discrepancies uh, between parts of Buddhism alone, parts of different kinds of Taoism. Uh, Confucianism changes radically over time. I mean, what they're saying in the 11th and 12th century is very different than what we're saying in the 16th century. Mm-hmm. And so, and let alone what Confucius actually is recorded to have said, and there's whole issues about reconstructing the different students of Confucius whose anecdotes are, were reassembled into this text that we know him by. Yeah. And they emphasize different aspects of what we'd say Confucianism is. So it's very complicated. So when someone says, you know, I'm doing the Taoist thing and I'm reading the, the Tao Te Ching, you're like, well, which aspect? Right. And, and if you really read the Tao Te Ching, you will find enormous aspects of it politically that are much more close to what we would say uh, Machiavelli yeah. rather than this kind of, you know, go with the flow. I mean, so there's a lot of uh, uncritical reading an uncritical understanding and the, all of these things, you know, it's a, you know, when you're talking about 2000 years, 2,500 years of change. And I guess that maybe that's the argument that I'm making overall for this to, to the, the general viewer about Chinese history is things changed and they changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I've read, I've read the Tao Te Ching lots of times. I, I think I have a copy copy next to my, bed that I sometimes, if I can't sleep I might flip through right. it and I've never understood it I've never come up with a coherent interpretation for it it's just like what so I put my hands up to that I'm not a scholar of, of Chinese thought yes. to me it's like okay some of it sounds like Tai Chi um, <laughs> the rest of it 
I don't know about keeping people hungry or, or looking after your belly or is that your yeah. plan? I don't know. Or is it just eat lots of food? <laughs> well, I mean, and that's that. what's funny is, in, you know, I, I teach a class episodically on uh, early Chinese thought. And, you know, we, we, we do early Confucian, you know, we do these early Ruists, we do early Taoist things. And, um, and I can see between that class and my general survey of Chinese history, of pre-modern Chinese history, where I have like, you know, one lecture on Confucianism, mm. one on Taoism, and then sort of like, then I teach this other class, and it's almost like, okay, forget every, if you took the other class, forget everything that you learned there, because now here's an inadequate, you know, three lectures on the Tao Te Ching, mm. three lectures on Zhuangzi, and that's still totally insufficient. Yeah. And, and, but pulling it apart and saying, here's what this means, and, and here's how it was understood. Um, you know, I, I, I'm doing this book now on uh, the interpretation of Sun Tzu Bingfa, uh, Sun Tzu's Art of War for the general Anglophone public right now. And uh, since we last spoke, I got about two massive chapters done and Impressive. almost done with this. I'll be done with it soon. Yeah. Um, hopefully another couple of months. Uh, and one of the issues is how to interpret Swinza. Yeah. And I'll, you get all these guys who'll be like, oh, I do martial arts and I started reading Swinza and I could see the strategy and you're like, and it's all indirect. Like, are you really reading that? You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I can show you where your, I mean, a lot of this book is about where did your interpretation of Swinza come from in the West? And it's not the Chinese interpretation. It's, it's a Western interpretation. Yeah. And so now that doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, I'm a, a, I suppose in the unsatisfying way people look at academics, I'm a, what do you, I'm not really sort of a complete textual relativist, but mm. we all know that you, you don't just read a book and you give an interpretation and you have a, a, a reading tradition. And in this tradition, this is what it emphasizes and this is what it says. And in this tradition, it says something else, you know, if you will, the, you know, if you look at, say, a Christian, and that's a huge you know, Christian tradition, you know, mm -hmm. Christians understand there's different groups of Christians that, you know, but yeah. from the outside, you say, well, what's the difference between Protestants and Catholics, you know, and, and, and Christians, hey, it's a huge difference. Yeah. Um, but if you look at, say, a Christian interpretation of the Old Testament versus a, a Jewish interpretation of the Old Testament, you're going to get vastly different emphases. What's right and what's wrong? Well, you know, I can make some very complicated arguments for what I would say sort of stronger versus weaker readings. Yeah. That's very subjective too. You know, I, I would say that the indirect approach or indirect strategy reading, which is, is I think I mentioned last time, this is Little Heart, not, not Swinza, hmm. is a weak reading. Uh, it, it's very, it's, it's a little bit in the text, but it's not really the major thrust of the text. But someone could say, yeah, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And that's what I take out of it. And using it is really useful. So, well, okay, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not the uh, authority. I can't enforce uh, interpretation. Mm -hmm. And the same problem we have with Taoism. I mean, if you read the Tao Te Ching, you can get a lot of stuff out of it. I mean, I think Zhuangzi would have made fun of you for getting, he would have, they, they would have, well, of course you're going to get out of it what you want because that's the nature of things. You're going to do whatever the heck you think is right, whether it's right or not. And so we just have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So there's your Taoist response to a reading or can you really read it right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, or I guess, the, what was that? In uh, A Fish Called Wanda, now I'm showing my age, right? I remember Where, it, I remember it, yeah. And um, Kevin Klein's character is, you know, he says, uh, he, you know, he's reading Aristotle and, you know, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis says, you know, what was it, uh, the, the central tenant of, was it Buddhism or something or, or Aristotle is not every man for himself. You know, I looked it up, uh, and, <laughs> but that you can have someone going about their lives yeah. using these things. And, and, you know, fair enough. It's just, I'm always surprised when I sort of come in and say, when I'm sort of, well, you know, I'm studying that. I actually, you know, I studied that period. And they're like, no, you, they get really angry at you because they've constructed some intellectual framework based on, Sometimes, but it's just a flat-out misreading or misinterpretation of something, yeah. and 
or this idea about what the Chinese, who the Chinese are, or what Chinese culture is in a sort of singular monolithic, yeah. simple sense. Uh, and that, that, I think that's probably the biggest issue I run into. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why when I did my martial arts book, I, you know, people criticized it, a few people did for not emphasizing the later stuff where there's much more information. Mm -hmm you know, for, for spending equal time. And of course I looked at it, I wasn't spending equal time. I, you know, I, 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 you know, I would spend much more time on the thousands of years before the present, but people want the, the, the recent stuff because that's the stuff they understand. And they say, well, well, why did you spend so much time on this early stuff, which we don't know that much about, you know, fair enough. Uh, and my point was try to show, you know, change over time and, and some things are the same, but, mm -hmm. you know, the emphasis on archery, for example, Mm. Uh, and and the part of the reason for showing that consistency was so that you could see the change with modern practice. Mm -hmm. You know, if you say, "Wow, for time immemorial, archery has been the major martial skill," and then things change, mm -hmm. that's important. But in terms of practice, you know, the, the historians are always, you know, "What stayed the same? What changed?" Mm -hmm. and even the, the literary Chinese, which is to say, so classical Chinese goes up to about 221 BCE, more or less. Uh, and then we have the written language is really gonna be literary Chinese, which is sort of, sort of a copy mm -hmm. of classical. And you kind of read both, but literary Chinese changes over time. So Song Dynasty literary Chinese is different than Ming Dynasty literary Chinese, than Qing Dynasty, you know, so, all these things change, and yet outside of it, we have this notion that, you know, it's, you know, pandas and turtles and things like that. And, and, and you know, and that, that's always strange to me. So I, if, that, if that's the big bugbear, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember reading a, a book by Slavoj Žižek. I think it was on belief or something when he was coming out as a, as a kind of hardcore Christian. And, um, and, and he talks about, the, I think it's the, Francisc the Franciscan heresy, like the you know, Franciscan yeah. monks who renounce uh, wealth. And they like just, they go, no, they, look, look what the Bible actually says. Look what Jesus says about riches. And they become the most subversive and controversial Christians possible because the Vatican sitting there being the, the most uh, you know, wealthy institution yeah. in the world. And, and then you got some monk on, but have you read that bit where Jesus says you shouldn't be rich? So, you know, I, I often give the example, when it comes to textual communities and interpretations of text, like people will kill each other over interpretations of the Bible. Yeah. Um, and if that's one book, it's just, you know, well, it's, it's one book. for that. Another thing that um, we mentioned, when we had a few emails recently, a few yeah. back and forth, you said you wanted to talk about one thing that, that you wanted to get off your chest was the, was the Orientalism of martial arts studies or an mm -hmm. orientalist impulse within martial arts studies. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about that? I'm sure, I'm sure you're talking about me and my work, but. Uh... No, no, I mean, no, I, I think I, depends on which book of yours, but I think, <laughs> I think at least one of the books you probably guessed when the, you know, the, who the, you know, the uh, anonymous uh, uh, academic reviewer was, but um, you know, that, we, we, we're always like, you know, my field is so small yeah. that it's almost it's, it's virtually impossible to to avoid the same people. But um, well, so we have this idea, you know. And I have to say, I was in a department when I started at UPenn in gosh, when was it? Ninety the uh, nine, eighty nine nine something like that. It was still the Oriental Studies department. Yeah, and it was just changing to Asian and Middle Eastern Studies. Mm -hmm. And there was a whole. And I came in. I was completely clueless about this I had you know and 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 as someone who works on who works on China but even then identified as being on East Asia mm -hmm. I didn't you know Saeed and all that stuff just didn't you know he, he was talking about the Middle East and mm -hmm. and then you have these people they're talking about India and like I never thought of India as Oriental or yeah. the Middle East as Oriental to me it was like East Asia and then I found out that oh no 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 it was <laughs> oh really okay yeah. and, and then europeans said all these bad things and you're like well of course they did the europeans you know 
and sorry, the Chinese said bad things about, you know, you read the Chinese writing about the Europeans showing up and they're like, oh my God, these guys smell horribly, you know. Um, so, but the Orientalism is really, you know, why do people study martial arts? And one of the salutary things about mixed martial arts is it's not Orientalist. Uh, and I mean that in two ways. One is it's because of the orientation toward Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It, it, it gets away from that. The other thing is what I've been, you know, I, I work out in a school, if it ever reopens, <clears throat> where we have a, a wonderful cross-section of, you know, Tennessee society. And you have people who quite literally, you know, high school education, that's it. And they're totally open to all of these fighting techniques. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, you think, oh, that's, that's awfully open-minded of them, you know, that they're, they're not sitting there going, that we've, in that sense, moved beyond this, you know, Asian trickery kind of stuff. You know, if you look at the earlier, you've been looking at some of these earlier schools of, of what, you know, martial arts in, in England, how it was characterized. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, it's okay, right? Because, because tough guys are fighting with this stuff for real, you know, none of this weird yeah philosophizing but a lot of people will send their kids to taekwondo uh, you know because then they come back and they bow and they're respectful and everyone's like it's great i send my kid to the taekwondo school and they come back and they're like polite <laughs> and they're 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 it's so traditional mm -hmm. as if you know we've lost all our traditional culture in the west or or we can see it as bad but if you send them to a, an Asian environment, then it's good. And then, and so, in the, yeah, we have this notion that somehow karate, and it gets back to this notion that it's ancient. Everything is ancient. Like, well, you know, we actually know the names of the guys who started some of this stuff. You know, <laughs> you know, 20th century guys, things like that. And so there is this notion of somehow there's a, a, some wisdom that the Oriental has that we don't have because you know they're ancient they're they're not western and this actually ties back into the swinza stuff too which is it's not like our philosophy and to which a lot of our philosophy people would object like hey well you know we actually have a lot of similar things uh if you go into mystical traditions and western religions you'll find all kinds of similar things but somehow this is acceptable to people as oriental whereas it's not acceptable within your own tradition and and that's the thing that always baffled me um i i always said that when i teach early chinese thought students will talk about profound ethical problems with respect to confucius you know or, you know master kong or master Xuan or louds or something like that that they would never they'd be really uncomfortable to talk about with respect to you know, Plato or Aristotle or, or let alone getting into people like Nietzsche and, you know, Kant and all those guys. Oh, oh, but we can talk about it in this, this, this Chinese stuff because that's kind of safe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of the, the Japanese saying about foreign mud doesn't stick to your sandals. You know, you, you go abroad and do what you want, then no one knows, or I guess what, 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 ha what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so there's this kind of notion that I'm going to, I'm going to learn this Asian thing and it's going to kind of circumvent some Western problem. And now I'm going to be invincible in fighting because I've been, you know, doing this very slow Tai Chi or this Qigong. Mm -hmm. And, and people, when someone says to you, well, why doesn't it work? You say, Oh, it's been around for 2000 years. It must work. Yeah. And, and so to me, that's sort of the ultimate Orientalist aspect is, you, it, it's been around for 2,000 years. And you'll see this in comments in, um, you know, particularly these videos on uh, traditional Chinese martial artists getting beaten up yeah. lately. Yeah. And I saw some wonderful videos on these guys talking about this stuff. And it's, yes, it, or as opposed to saying people who don't spar lose when they fight with people who do. As opposed to, you know, traditional martial artists lose against non-tradition you know and then it becomes this oriental issue of then people say well i see that that oriental stuff doesn't work you know all that traditional stuff doesn't work and then we get into this whole discussion well what, what do you mean by work 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if, if you do Qigong and it makes you feel better, is that a failure? You know, if you do Tai Chi, you know, you can't test Tai Chi necessarily in combat, mm. but you can spar mm. and maybe find out that your Tai Chi has helped you in sparring in some way, or some of those moves are similar. Uh, but the Orientalism becomes this sort of, uh, what do you want to say, the ultimate answer. Well, we know this works because it's 2,000 years old. It's like, really? Well, how do you know it's 2,000 years old? Well, you know, because China's thousands of years old and so everything there and and it must have been proven and 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 so the orient and like i said that that's why i don't i don't accuse people of it i there's quite quite enough orientalism to start accusing people particularly you of it um, well but, i think i've i um i've i always write about orientalism i think because it's what what i get is a lot of students who write about Orientalism uh, and go, oh, so blah, blah, we'll look at this film, we might look at, you know, whichever film it is or whichever artwork or television program. And then the conclusion is they find Orientalism in it. Ta-da, yeah. end of essay. And I say, no, of course there's Orientalism. That's where we start and we interrogate. What is it? Like I've, I've argued, you know, I went, I turned to Kung Fu and Tai Chi for precisely orientalist reasons like it was exactly. it was mystical it was it was it was it was like i need to find out what this secret is right yeah. um and so like in in that sense it was kind of a good thing because like yeah. orientalism isn't racism orientalism is a kind of a fetishistic overvaluation of, of, of the fantasy of, of something else uh i mean it hasn't stayed with me i think i went through that i've outgrown it but i get it and i don't uh, the thing that prop that troubles me is people who who stick with it. I mean, you could show them all the facts and figures and go, but look, look at what the historians are saying about how recent this stuff is, and look at what has been. And they're going, oh yes, and they'll still stick with the. They want to wear the they want to wear the uniforms, and they want to put Sifu in front of their name on their Facebook profiles. Yeah. And it's it, that's the thing that I kind of don't get. I mean, if people just don't want that, they just don't want to listen to. They want to stay with their Orientalism, don't they? I think. Well, you know, and you get that on all these sort of like, um, you know, I, I was, uh, I cooked a gongba jiding, a kung pao chicken last night. And um, we had this, my wife was listening to some Chinese broadcast and they're saying the uh, gongba was a title for a, and so I was sitting at my desk. So I, you know, I reached up and pulled down my dictionary of Chinese institutional titles. And I was like, oh yeah, it's the junior, the, it's like the junior instructor to the heir apparent. Yeah. So, okay, um, that's how we assign that. And, and uh, is the chicken good? Yes. Uh, but I'll tell you something. We know that the chili pepper comes in from the new world. Okay. So it can't be more than about 400 years old as a recipe. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting there is, there might have been a, uh, some kind of form of chicken. I said the problem is that title goes from about the Sung to the Qing, so the last thousand years of Chinese history. So you can't date it by the title there. But I know that if you're going to put chilies in it, it's got to be, you know, sort of 400 years at most. Well, you know, that's fine. But then the question is, was it any good? Oh, it was wonderful. It was now, of course, and I cook it in the, it, and, and I cook it American style, which is to say there's broccoli in it, which is anathema to Chinese people. It's, it's not a, a mixed dish. It's, you, you, you don't put, uh, but also peanuts, which also are new world. Yeah. So you have, this is a new world dish. Uh, there's a wonderful program on uh, General Joe's Chicken. I think it's on, it's a documentary. I think it's called like, is it Searching for General Joe or something like that? Okay. And we know the guy who created that recipe. I mean, he created it in Taiwan in like the 50s or something like that. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? If it's good. But if you want it to be this ancient something, but, you know, but we, like, like, so we like Chinese food or, or um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, isn't that great? And, 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 but does that mean that Chinese food is healthy? A lot of Chinese food that is not that healthy, but oh, but it's it's Oriental, so it's it's yeah. it's by definition because they're so much more in touch and they're you know you know they eat a lot of crappy food too. Yeah, 
I am. Um, you know the the chef Jamie Oliver, British yeah. chef, and he got kind. He actually got like really impassioned death threats when he changed when he changed a recipe, a traditional Italian recipe, and he yeah. just put some different ingredients in, and it kind of like Italians' mind were exploding. They go, "You cannot put that in that dish." Yeah. <laughs> and he actually kind of he was in some danger because people were so angry about his his messing with. Um, so, so I mean, I mean, to connect it back to martial arts, I think that, you know, when, when, you know, we talk to friends, we talk to family and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this new thing. It's kind of like a mixture of Tai Chi and yoga and Pilates. And it's like Tai Chi yoga lattes. And it's really great. And we are going, it isn't, is it? It's rubbish. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, things change. Things are hybridized. Things are grafted together. But there's a certain kind of, we, we still maybe harbor an essentialism ourselves, people are like, you can't do that. That's not a thing. <laughs> I mean, do you suffer from that at all? Or I think I think we're all looking for Yoda. You know, like like you know, you want that or 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 Master Uwe, you know, you like we want this person who has it perfectly, who yeah. then can transmit it to us and the more perfect we do it the more exactly like that person got it yeah the more powerful we'll become yeah um and and so if we have that we can um uh, uh what do you want to say you know we become invincible and and i mean so it, it and so it's, it's just bizarre like yeah wouldn't you love like we've all had teachers if we were fortunate who really advanced us, you know, who really, whose who's instruction, like, wow, I learned so much from that person. And were they perfect people? You know, you know, my, my late classical Chinese teacher was a character of the first order. You know, this was like, so I think I mentioned, I, mean, he, I would come to class at 10 a.m. with him, hmm. you know, one-on-one, -on -one, and he was drinking beer and, and chain-smoking cigarettes and shouting at me. And, and uh, we're knee to knee and he's shouting at me mm. and, and drinking, you know, and, that, and that's how I learned classical. And he was a phenomenal classical Chinese teacher, mm. but um, as a human being, you know, he had flaws. Um, okay. you know, <laughs> so, so yeah. here's a question then. What about, and um, we can make this as topical as we want. Yeah. What about the, the memorialization of certain figures, statues of Chinese ancients and, you know, yeah. and, uh, I mean, what is the status of, so let, I'll rephrase that slightly. Yeah. So given the complexity of, of, of a tradition, of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a practice and, and, and of the values and so on that, that are attributed to it and, and the fact that over time there'll be massive transformations in what this practice is, what kind of, what's the importance or status of these mythical figures because i even read academic and semi-academic uh, scholarly work and it always comes back to these names and i think hang on it must be more complex than that i mean there are there are founders and innovators and key but what do you what do you make of the of this handful of names that we always are reading about in the chinese martial arts well so so I, i'm working this other aspect of of tracking the western you know i mentioned this western interpretation of swinza and i I was very skeptical because I was running basically back to the same names, yeah. this bunch of guys. And, and I thought, this, this can't be, like this, as an academic, I'm thinking, this doesn't sound like a sound methodology. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the string of guys, here's the interpretation. Does it really come out of these guys? And does it really, does it take off? Because are these guys, and, then, and, and so then you sort of say, well, you know, uh, I'm moving to it. I, I don't want to commit. I'll, I'll be a, I'll waffle, you know, instead of using, you know, a theory to waffle, I'll, I'll just come out and waffle straight out, which is you have a bunch of guys in a time and a place. And that creates a, a reading tradition, a, an interpretive tradition, a practice, a system of practice that for particular reasons of the time and the place in which these guys did it, becomes is perceived to be the tradition mm -hmm. and that's why we come back to these guys so i mean the guy we were talking about a little bit uh, was uh, ufa 
And this was a general in um, China in the Southern Sung, who in the 12th, I guess he's 12th century, yeah. Um, he's a great patriotic hero. He was supposed to be a great personal fighter. He's ultimately betrayed uh, the emperor, you know, they, they, he's jailed, he's beheaded, uh, and he becomes this great patriotic figure. So if you go to Hangzhou today, there's a temple to UFA. Mm -hmm. And there's a big statue of him. If you go visit your statues, you know, UFA. And then there's a statue on his knees of the guy who betrayed him. Okay. And this guy, um, Qin Gui, and you're supposed to spit on him. And they've had to replace the statue repeatedly because it's corroded so much from people. I mean, this is China, right? So thousands of people going through spitting on the statue. There was a, they briefly stopped it at one point uh, because of a hygiene campaign. It's very unsanitary to have thousands of people spitting on this thing. Um, and uh, you can see all these things. You have, so everybody who wants to talk about their martial arts, they all trace it back. Oh, so UFA, oh, he's involved. And, and suddenly you say, well, um, I haven't really seen anything on that. And everyone starts talking about it and they say, oh, well, but I, I read some, something and you're like, if you're reading it in English, it's, it's almost certainly not the case. Um, he's, he, he's mentioned, he, everyone always comes back to him. And so there, there are these figures. I mean, you know, look, you work on Bruce Lee, right? And there's this, this constant question, could he really fight? Did he deserve this iconic status? Well, the problem with once you're an icon is um, you're an icon. There's no, you know, you, you, we can't get around that. So, you know, I have this bunch of guys in the 11th century who are all interconnected with each other. It's one of those moments when all of these brilliant intellectuals who are artists and painters and writers and poets and everything essentially reformulate Chinese culture mm -hmm. in the 11th century. And everything they do carries through to today. And we can't get away from these guys. And I would never try to get away from them. In fact, I would, if I could, I would only spend my time in the 11th century on these sort of maybe 10, 20 guys. And uh, why were they able to do that at that time? You know, that's an interesting question of, of connections. You know, what, look, you created this, this martial arts studies network. And, you know, um, you and Ben were doing this stuff. And then there were other people. And suddenly it coalesced. Mm. If you hadn't done it, it wouldn't have coalesced. But people were beginning to work on these things. Would it have eventually, uh, maybe, you know, you see different fields and, and you know, I, I saw maybe 15 years ago in my wife's field of Chinese architectural history, that the, the constellation of people in China was not right at that time. There was a lot, the people felt in competition with each other. Mm -hmm. And then that changed. And then we got a, a different generation, the older generation who was, you know, in competition. And now they're doing all this great research. They're collaborative. You know, the people in China, there's people in America, the people all over the world. And now you can start learning about Chinese architectural history in the same way. Now you can start learning about martial arts history. Why now? Well, the internet, the right people. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, when we put up a statue to you in the future, and... Uh, <laughs> Hopefully not the one kneeling down, right? Not that the one kneeling down. Well, I still, I still, I found the image I had of you where I pasted your head on Uguay's body. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, but, but yeah, we'll, so will, will people, will there be someone 30 years from now who looks back and says, you know, the reason why the field exists the way it does is because you know you went and did this at this time, and you might say as you're sitting there being brought in to get the your prize for this, or and you're like, eh, you don't do judo for so long, you know, with <laughs> my shell on my back, on your back, um, and you say, well, you know, it wasn't what I did wasn't. You know, I, I didn't levitate. I didn't walk on water. I, you know, I, 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 I put together this really slick looking website and I, I you know, I, that was it. Yeah. That was it, you know, and, but from the perspective of seeing how that turns out, mm. it's very important. And, and, you know, when I talked to Matt Polly about Bruce Lee and he was saying how, you know, there are all these, these people who are like, well, 
why would we do a biography? Why would we publish a biography of Bruce Lee? And and mostly that's about well he's he's not a white guy, mm. and and I was kind of like what? Yeah. And 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 but he you know and and this is you know Matt Pauly is not it's not like he's some radical. I don't know what Matt would say, but I don't, I don't think of him as, as some radical guy. Uh, some you know he, he's. And he's as, as orientalist in, in, in his initial impulses as, as I was, as you were, right? You know, he went to China to, he went to Shaolin, you know, of all things, yeah. and, and created a career starting from, from that starting point. And yet, you know, so our, our criticism, you know, your criticism, my criticism of people is why haven't you moved from, you know, I, I don't blame you from starting at Orientalism. Mm. Mm -hmm. I blame you for staying there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and we'll see another martial, you know, what, what's the next movie we'll see with some white guy going somewhere and then there's some uh, Asian woman and, you know, and, and you know, you just like, Oh, can't, not again, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, there was a, there was a great line in, it was a recent episode of the flash. Yeah. Uh, now of course that's all messed up. And uh, the one character says to them, wow, I says to her, she's not, there's no, no one Chinese or Asian in there. And says, wow, how did you learn that martial arts? And she said, oh, when I was a child, my parents, you know, left me with this blind uh, master on a mountain in Japan. He says, really? She says, no, I, I learned it from some guy named Frank at the YMCA. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and I thought that was this wonderful subversion of this, this tale Mm -hmm. But how do we, I mean, in terms of what, if you want something like, what's the point of my complaining? Mm -hmm. not, not that as an academic, I need a point to complain, you know. Uh, well, I, I guess, I mean, the, the real questions are about the, the stakes and consequences of these things. I mean, I do think that Orientalism arguably, arguably has consequences and historical obfuscation or historical manipulation yeah. it, it's it, as you said right at the very beginning of the conversation it's often really political it's 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 yeah. kind of like who is gaining what from this like who is who's driving this and who is yeah. gaining and 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 what's the cost like who is losing um and i think with orientalism it's a tricky one but um I don't know if it's a victimless crime or if, you know, as some people say about the idea of cultural appropriation, it's just like, eh. like, you know, I mean, what do you want us that what white people have to wear? What? I don't know. At best a kilt at most, like a yeah. hat or a trilby or something like that. And a pinch. Yeah. Like what, what, what are we, what, what's the crime here? You know, one of the first articles I read when I was trying to work out how I was going to write about Bruce Lee was an article by Stephen Chan. And he mm. talked about the way in which kind of Japanese cultural industries had uh, agencies that kind of gone yeah all right if you want it to be ancient then just come on then yeah we'll sell you that if you yeah. want it to be an ancient tradition we're absolutely fine for selling you that and it just becomes a a cultural uh, a financial transaction it, the culture is just a commodity well that's i mean and you had uh martha mccoey on which i was just like oh you know because I, I i thought her stuff was just so fantastic and 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 i i every time i imagined to do some course on martial arts and I, you know, and if you will, it comes from a lot of her ideas about, we have this script. And so, you know, women are given this script about what happens if they fight back. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're given all these scripts and then, and then what's radical as a, in the humanities. And again, this is something that's really the humanities that, that is so troubling to many cultural conservatives. You know, they're not worried about science solving something. They're worried about someone in the humanities saying, by the way, you know, that's not what you think it is. Mm -hmm. And partly that is this, well, you're going to tell me that, uh, for example, with the martial arts, I, I think I always, when I was doing more films, there's a really important article to write in there about how Asian martial arts, really Chinese martial arts, Chinese, and, and let me segment that to bow my hat to Megan Morris too, which is, Chinese martial arts and Chinese martial arts movies, which create the possibility for women to fight back. Mm. Which, if you look at Western movies, Western culture doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. And so we have this really, I mean, you think about some of these Hong Kong movies where some small Chinese woman who's a great martial artist, she doesn't just 
get into a fight and defeat some big white guy. I mean, I can go through how many movies where that happens mm. without being touched. I mean, they get hit, they get thrown through walls and they come back and fight. And, and that's a narrative, that's a script we didn't see in the West, we didn't see in Hollywood mm. until Hong Kong movies hit mainstream and Hong Kong and, and Chinese martial arts, not Japanese martial arts so much, although there's always this, you know, uh, sexy Japanese ninja woman trope thing. And, mm -hmm. and there's, then there's this whole uh, 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 women with guns trope, uh, uh, genre too. But it's the martial arts that allow women to have fights, women to be heroes in a physical sense. Mm -hmm. So there, that is a real positive, but also it comes out of Orientalism. Mm -hmm. You know, so, uh, you know, and now suddenly you can have these, these women now skill with fighting is more important than just strength. Yeah. But you know, you look at those old Westerns where it's kind of, you know, I hit you, you hit me, yeah. I hit you. And then finally the bad guy falls because obviously his moral failings have made him less tough or, or less strong in hitting. And you're like, well, what did that prove? You know, and, but then the problem is if you, don't have that contest, that, that agonistic in the, in the ancient Greek sense, contest of moral forces because, well, the reason I won is you don't know how to fight and I do. Hmm. You know, and that allowed some small woman to, to, yeah. to uh, you know, now you've subverted the entire morality tale, hmm. the, the cultural morality tale of all of our movies. Oh, you're just being politically correct. Hmm. You know, that, that would never happen in real life. And, and so it, there's your positive, I guess. Hmm. Uh, Okay. But it, yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I you're going to try to come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've come, um, we've done some circles. Yeah. <laughs> we've come round and round. So yeah, yeah, there's energies in different directions, different impulses. Yeah. But we've we've talked for about fifty minutes, so I I think that. Um, we should be kind anywhere. to our viewers and listeners, and uh, and I'll <laughs> say, <laughs> Joe, Joe Rogan, this ain't you know we're not staying yeah. here, you know. <laughs> so, I'm for you to be bought out for a hundred million dollars. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> but I, I think I'm going to just say, Professor Peter Lodge, thank you very much for talking to me again. It's always a pleasure. Well, it's good to talk to you again too, and and, and hopefully all will work out for you this week. Thank uh, you. Thoughts and prayers for your dog. Now that's a terrible thing to say. No, I, I genuinely care. Tell me how the how the dog does. I will. I will let you know how the dog is. Yeah. All right. Thank you. See you later, Peter.